Uh, well, welcome again. We are in week two of our uh, summer series, Postcards from Paul. And the last week, if you were here, uh, we saw Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And that first missionary journey took them to Cyprus and then up into uh, Asia Minor, into the region we call Galatia. And you, we, we together looked at Galatians or Acts 13 and saw how uh, Paul had preached this message of grace. It's a message that, that carried him through as he would go from church to church. And the message you see again and again and again as you read his letters about the grace of God that we did not deserve or earn but was, was poured out for our benefits and that we can approach the throne because of that. And so we're thankful for that. But today we join Paul on his second missionary journey. And this map here gives you a little clue of where he's headed. I will say this, though, before we look into, look into it, the, the personnel have changed. In fact, it's no longer Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they had a little discussion and a little disagreement on personnel matters. And so they couldn't agree on, on who to take with them. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, who had left them in the middle of the last journey. And Paul said, no, I don't want to take him along with me. So so they split, and Barnabas and John Mark went back to Cyprus, the island that you see unnamed unnamed over there, and and he went there and had ministry. And we don't really read much more, and we're really nothing about their missionary journeys and not much more about Barnabas. However, Paul picks up Silas, and he picks up Silas in Jerusalem, and they start heading north. And they head up there's Antioch in, in Syria, where they started their first missionary journey last week. And then instead of heading by water, they go north and they come to Tarsus. Tarsus was Paul's uh, hometown. It was where he grew up as a child. So they visit Tarsus. And then they start hitting the cities that they went to in the first week of, or the first missionary journey. Uh, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and then up into Antioch. And that Antioch is Pisidia Antioch, and that is where we were last week as we heard the sermon being delivered. Now, if you read, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And if you read the beginning of Acts chapter 16, it tells you a little bit about this journey. And it will tell you that by the time they got to Antioch, Paul's real goal was to go north into Asia. So, so he was thinking, let's go north into Asia. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit stopped them. I don't know how he stopped them. I don't know, roadblock, you know, messenger or what it was. All says stop, I, but I do know what it's like to be stopped from doing something that you intended to do. It was just a couple years ago. It was a beautiful September Friday day morning, and, and I was, had my heart set on golfing. And so did Gordon Schilling. And so Gordon and I got together and we drove to a local golf course. All, everything intent on golfing that day. Got there and they said, no golfing, course closed. We have a outing today. Well, bummer. Well, there's, there's always another course, right? So we got in the car and we headed to another course, Manikiki, as a matter of fact. And we got there and we said, we want to golf. And they said, can't golf here today. There's an outing. So Gordon says, hey, I know a little course. They won't have an outing. No problem. We can get on and we can have just as much fun. So we get in the car and we started headed to that. We get just 
to the, almost to the course. There's a fire truck blocking the road. <laughs> there had been an accident. And we couldn't get to the course. Gordon looked at me. He said, you know, I don't think we're supposed to golf today. <laughs> I said, let's go to Denny's. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we went to Denny's and had iced tea and coffee. <laughs> so I don't know if it was that kind of roadblock or what, but somehow the Holy Spirit stopped Paul in his tracks and said, no, you're not going north. So Paul continued to go west, and he comes there to Troas, the port city. And the scripture tells us that while he's at Troas, one night he has a vision. And that vision is a man. And the man is standing there, and he calls him a man from Macedonia. And the man says, please come to Macedonia and help us. Scripture says, so we did that. Immediately, they, they got on the boat. They went across into the Macedonia area there, which is the area today we know as Greece. And so this is the first missionary journey into Europe. The first time the gospel has gone into Europe. And we see it there. They land, and then they head about 10 miles inland to the town of Philippi. And so this morning, we bring you greetings from Paul from Philippi. And Philippi was not a real big town, really not a, really that important of a town. It was probably at this point best known for in 42 B.C., one of the great military um, fights. Uh, you might read about this if you're a history buff. Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Cassius and Brutus. At Philippi in 42. You might remember Cassius and Brutus. They were involved in the plan and the, the successful plan to assassinate Julius Caesar. And so the civil war had been going on. And finally in 42, Mark Antony and Octavius defeat Brutus and Cassius. And so as kind of a celebration or as, or as kind of remembrance or at least to, 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 to reward some people, they, they reestablished Philippi and, or at least strengthened it by making it a Roman military colony. And many of the retired military men from serving in, in the Roman uh, soldiers would go there and live in basic retirement. They could govern themselves. They didn't have to pay taxes. So they had a lot of good things going on there, and they would go, and, and Philippi then became pretty much a Roman colony filled with retired or former soldiers. So along comes Paul into this city. You might remember, though, that um, a few years after, maybe 10, 15 years after, um, they defeated Brutus and Cassius. There was another man came along, and his name was Augustus. And he conquered. And then, of course, Luke 2, chapter 1 tells us that in the days of Caesar Augustus, there was a census. And so you see the history of what was going on here in the history of Philippi. So, but if you were to walk in and if Paul were to send us some postcards from Philippi, of course, it wouldn't have been in ruins, but you might have seen some of the ruins. First of all, you see this picture of Philippi that's, that's the next slide, which has the, the market and some of the ruins and then two of the basilicas that are still standing. Now, some of these were after the time of Paul, especially the basilicas, but, but in, the, in the background is Mount Pagion. Now, the, before 42 BC, Philippi was best known for being a gold city. It was the, the, the gold rush, and it would, the, the gold in them, their mountains, 
would fund wars, and so it was a popular place because of the gold that was there. But at this point in time, not so much. And so you, you would see that. Going on to the next slide, you would see the theater. The theater was a 5,000-seat 5, theater that was built in 400 B.C. In 300 A.D., it was remodeled by the Romans so that they could house wild beast fights. Now, I've always said that every good policy, every good building needs rehabbed every 700 years, you know? <laughs> yeah. 700 years from being built to being rehabbed or reshaped to hold wild beast fights and, and so built very well. The next picture is, again, this is of the market and a couple of the basilicas with the mount in behind it. And then the, the final picture, the next one, or next two pictures, actually, the one on your left, my right, that the, the road you see there is probably the most important. That's the Via Ignatia. That road was a 700-mile road. It was the central east-west passage from the Aegean Sea to the Black Sea. And so you would get from the, the, the west coast of Greece all the way to Istanbul, now Istanbul, Turkey, on this road. It was about six meters wide, and this is one of the best preserved pieces of the road along the way, probably because Philippi has sewers, which meant these roads were cleaner and not as wet as uh, as, as others might have been. And so this is a well-preserved road, and you can see the, the city. But on, the, on, on your right, you also see what you might have seen walking along there. And it's a wall with a little niche, a little indentation, where they would have put their idols. They would have put idols that would have been kind of a mix-mash of, of, of worship, of, of gods, of mythical gods, of Caesar, so that you got everybody covered, and they kind of mixed them all together, made sure they were covered on all ends. Those idols would have been sitting there. And so that's where Paul would have walked into. The Bible tells us that he went to Philippi. And while there, um, he uh, preached. And he went to find places of prayer. And so it he went in and he found a place of prayer outside of the city and, and met one lady named Lydia. And we read the story of Lydia, and we don't have time for that this morning, but Lydia and her family became the first Christians in Europe. And they started the first Christian church in Europe, in Greece, in Philippi. But I want to pick up the story in chapter 16 of, of Acts, verse 16. Just after Lydia and just after the church is established, we see this story that we're going to focus on this morning. It starts like this. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. I want to stop there a second because we need to set this. You need to see some things here. First, it says, we were going to a place of prayer. Actually, the first time they entered into Philippi, it says it was a Sabbath and we went to look for a place of prayer, which tells us there were no synagogues because we said last week they would have gone to a synagogue if it was a Sabbath. But there were no synagogues because there were probably very few Jewish people in Philippi. It takes 10 Jewish men to be able to establish a synagogue. And so they were there and, and, and probably in a very Gentile area was actually a Roman soldier town. So why would there be a lot of Jewish individuals there? But so they went outside 
We know now to the river, it's about a mile outside of the city. And they had originally met Lydia and the other group of women. And it says here they're going back to it. They're going back to the place of prayer outside of the city of Philippi. It's also interesting to note it says we. Did you notice that? We. The rest of Luke, or Acts up to this point, is told in the third person. They. They went. They did this. Paul did this. Apparently, Dr. Luke joined the group about this time, just before entering into Philippi. Dr. Luke, the author of Acts. And so he is joined up. And so now we see first person. This is my experience. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. This was, this was us together. And so we see that. And of course, we see then this slave girl. This girl who has a spirit, not of God, because fortune telling was strictly forbidden for God's people. But it was a, a demon or some sort of a spirit that allowed her to tell the future. And you can guess the next line. She made her owners lots of money. Lots and lots and lots of money they were making. And so it was, uh, it was that that Paul is entering into. And let's look, continue to look in verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Stop there again one more second. This, this girl who was calling out, you would think, well, what's wrong? She's saying, hey, listen to this guy. He's going to tell you how to be saved. But this was not a respectful, this was not a helpful, this was, this was in a derogatory way of calling out. And you can hear, you can maybe feel Paul's frustration day after day, hearing this lady call out what you're trying to preach. And he and he's finally says, enough! <laughs> Get out! <laughs> and it says the spirit came out of her like that. She was healed. The spirit left her. Next verse, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Next verse, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. They after that, they were severely flogged. They were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commend, commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in their stocks. You know, people don't mind religion. They don't mind you um, coming to church, practicing your Christianity. They don't even mind preaching or maybe even casting out a demon or so. Just don't mess with our prophets. <laughs> just, just don't mess with our money-making ability. You might have remembered a similar story from Jesus casting out demons. He was approached by a man with demons and he cast out those demons into swine and the swine ran and jumped over a cliff and were killed. 
not making the owners of the swine very happy. You've taken away our income. What are we going to do? These guys had made lots of money, so they threw out false accusations. You know, they were too smart to say, hey, these guys are taking away our money. They, instead, they made up stories. They said they're, 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 they're telling us to do illegal things, things that the Romans shouldn't be doing. And so they beat them, they flogged them, told the jailer, watch these guys very, very carefully. So he put them in the inner prison, bound them their feet in stocks. If you go to Philippi today, the, the tour guides will take you to this location you see up on the screen. It's a, it's a cistern jail. Uh, they'll tell you this may be the place that Paul and Silas was. Uh, I think that's probably not the case, but it's good to get an idea of maybe what it looked like. In fact, they would point out to you uh, on the wall places where chains were attached to the wall here. And you see, this, this has, does have this inner, inner cell, which then there was an outer cell to that. And so it could have been a prison, uh, and, and the outer cell would be out, and then the inner cell back in. But if, if, imagine something like this, and... But instead of being opened, it's closed in the outer cell. And can you imagine how dark, how dark and desperate that would be? This was the place where Paul and Silas, beaten, flogged, locked up in prison, in the inner prison. This is them. They, uh, in fact, for a second, if you can put yourself, put yourself in Paul's shoes. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Your rights have been violated. Beaten and flogged without a trial. <laughs> Beaten and flogged without any evidence being presented, you're even guilty. Beaten and flogged but also falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been lied about? Have you ever been in a situation where someone has said something that's untrue about you? Paul says, I didn't say anything about doing something to disrespect the Romans. I'm just preaching Jesus. I'm just preaching Jesus. And thrown into prison. Thrown into prison without a trial. And as they found out later, Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. All of this was illegal. All of this was unjust. All of this was brutal. All of it was not deserving. Paul didn't deserve any of this. He was treated harshly. He was treated unfairly. Have you ever been treated harshly and unfairly? Have you ever been put into a circumstance, not your fault, but you're facing dire circumstances? Or you're just in a very difficult situation, a very unhealthy situation, a disastrous situation. 
Well, what about this? What if you're in that situation, not, be, not, not, <laughs> not just being a Christian, but because you were a Christian? That's why Paul is in jail. Things like this happen all the time. I think of, what was it, 2015. Christians going to a prayer meeting in Charleston, South Carolina. A man named Dylan Roof comes in and shoots them just because they're Christians. It happens. Teens go on buses for a mission trip across the country and it rolls over and parents have lost sons and daughters. It happens. Missionaries go to reach unchurched people around the world and they never come back. It happens because they are following God, because they are worshiping. And sometimes our difficulties come, not by choice, certainly, but they come. Sometimes it's unjust. Sometimes it's not right, but it comes, and it comes, and it comes. Paul knew this, and he knew it well. In fact, in his letters, he talks about how many times he was flogged and beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked for the Lord. But you know, even before this, when he was retracing his steps in his first missionary journey to those cities that he had been kicked out of, in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, he said these words. He said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You might say, oh, okay, that applies to Paul. But if you go back and look at that, that scripture there, when he says that to the people, it's not talking about him. It's, he is encouraging folks who are going through hardships. He's encouraging them to, to keep the faith. Don't give up. He says, we got to go through many hardships to reach the kingdom of God. Why should we be surprised? Jesus said it. In this life, you will have troubles. Peter, and in his writings, he says that, you know, you're going through these trials. Why? For a testing of your faith. And so we go through trials. We go through difficulties as Christians. We go through it all the time. You know what I'm talking about. And so put yourself in Paul's shoes, unjustly accused, rights violated, Racial discrimination, prejudice. Do you know, did you hear what I said when I was reading through there? These men are Jews. This was 50, approximately 50 AD that this happened. About that same time, Claudius threw the Jews out of Rome. The discrimination, the prejudice at this point was at its height. Some of you know what racial discrimination is like to feel prejudiced against. What's that like? What is it like to be in Paul's shoes or to be in some of your shoes this morning? What's remarkable, though, of this story, then, I think is the reaction of Paul and Silas in the prison. And we see that in verse 25. It's this. Remember, in stocks, beaten, everything, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. <laughs> and the other prisoners were listening to them. 
They did the only thing they knew how to do. And in this situation, the only thing they could do. Pray and praise. Pray and praise. And sometimes in our situations, there's not much more we can do. In fact, sometimes maybe we have too many options, so we start going other directions. And God says, no, why don't you start by praying and praising. Sing a hymn. Sing a praise. Why am I in this situation, God? Why don't you stop it? It's not fair. Praise him. Pray. Give glory to God for who he is. Being in that cistern or that dungeon that night, coming midnight, it says, they're praising and they're praying and others are hearing. As I read that story, I know what it's like to go through some dark times. I don't know this dark. I've never been beaten and imprisoned. But maybe you've gone through tough times and situations and you wonder. And as I thought about that, I thought about a story from missionaries, friends of missionaries of so many years ago. 1927, March 24th and 25th. Three friends missionary men spent a night I think a lot like Paul spent in a dungeon. It was a cistern, an unused cistern in a building that was being built. They had gone, been working in China for many years, but few of them had just gotten there, including Charles Duvall, a missionary. And as they got there and the Duvalls arrived, about that time, war was breaking out and the communists were coming through to clear out the warlords that were still remaining in pockets of China. They were in Nanking. Their women had already been evacuated to a naval warship. But the men were still in town. They were there for a conference. And the, and the Chinese communists come through and they're destroying everything in their path. And they're killing missionaries. And they're killing pastors. The three men did not know what to do. Friends took them and said, here there's a cistern that's never been used. Can you get down there and stay there? They went down that night. They couldn't even whisper to each other. It was too dangerous. They tell the story about being in there, hearing the guns, hearing buildings burn. He said there were times where they thought they'd been found out with the commotion that was going on. In fact, one time, the guy found, one of the Chinese soldiers found the, the entrance to the cistern, opened it up, looked down and didn't see him, yelled. And when he yelled, the echo kind of scared him, they thought. And so he shut the door. Charles Duvall, who wrote years later about being in that cistern, in that dark place, in that difficult place, writes this, and he writes about himself in the third person. He said, there was a lot of time to do some thinking during those 20 hours in the cistern. Charles Duvall had a good chance to revise some of his ideas about prayer. Because some of his past associations, he had more or less gained the notion that earnest prayer meant loud praying. <laughs> But that day, he discarded that idea in a hurry. He never, he never prayed more earnestly in his life, but he did not utter a sound. Many passages about prayer took on new meaning, such as Psalm 139, O Lord, thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts. Darkness does not hide from thee. There is not a word on my tongue. 
But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. And then he writes this years later. He says, before Charles Duvall left for China, he felt he needed more experience before taking up the responsibilities of a missionary. Evidently, the Lord thought the same thing. But the experiences through which the Lord led him were of a very different nature than those which he thought he needed. Looking back over 60 years, he realizes that God's leadings are best and have stood him in good stead all his life. And then he says this, sometimes God has given him, Charles, an occasional review. In the learning process, a review is often exceedingly beneficial. I just wonder if God was giving Paul a little review that day. When Paul's singing and praying, oh, better than expected. <laughs> Give him a 10 out of 10 today. When God, when we go through our trials, when we go through our issues, when we go through our problems of life, it's a chance for God to grow us, to strengthen us, to be encouraged, to be stronger. That's what God wants us to do. But we can't do that without going through the difficulties, without going through the trials, without spending sometimes our night in a prison or in a cistern. Last week, I mentioned and we talked about Pilgrim's progress and how Pilgrim became a Christian and, and interpreter and told him, you're going to have many, many other issues come up in your life. There's going to be issues that come up on this path, on this adventure. Well, it, didn't, it did happen. In fact, not long after Community's Life to Christ, Pilgrim is on his journey and he comes up to this hill of difficulty. He comes to the hill of difficulty. He's got a couple of his, of his friends with him. Formalist and hypocrisy. And they come to the hill. And you've got a choice now. Do you take the hill or do you try to find an easy way around? Pilgrim was told to stay on the path. Stay on the path. And the path led up the hill. The story goes that there was a, sister, a spring at the bottom of the hill, referring obviously to Isaiah 49, where God says, I will guard, guide you to the springs of water. Pilgrim took a sip and refreshed himself at the spring, and then he started up the hill of difficulty, saying these words, This hill, though high, I covet to ascend. This difficulty will not me offend. For I perceive the way to life lies here. Come pluck harp up heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong though easy, where the end is woe. He started up the hill running. The narrator says that run became a walk, <laughs> and that walk became a crawl as the tough times got tough. The, the hill got steep. But along the way, not only did God provide the spring, he provided an arbor on a plateau for rest. Pilgrim wasn't perfect. He failed. He made some mistakes going up the hill. One mistake he didn't make was listening to some guys coming the other way saying, turn back, there's danger ahead. In fact, the two other guys took the hills, or the roads around the hill one called danger and one called destruction. 
the easy way and we don't hear from them again. Pilgrim kept going, kept going, kept going until he got to the hill, the top of the hill, where there he saw this mansion called Beautiful. I think for Paul in the prison that night, he didn't know, but he was about to experience Beautiful. We don't have time to read the rest of the story, but let me tell you what happens. They're singing and they're praising God. All of a sudden, there's an earthquake. Chains fall off. Their feet are freed. Doors are open. Everything's unlocked. The guard wakes up and realizes that everybody's probably escaped and he gets ready to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're here. We're here. Don't worry. The guard's next words. What do I need to do to be saved? Paul took him. The guard took care of him, washed his wounds. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. He took him and he baptized him. And that little tiny church in Philippi grew some more and grew some more and grew some more. House beautiful for Paul. How about you? What's your hill of difficulty? Um, wasn't planning this this morning, but um, I just want to give you an opportunity if you want to come and pray about what's going on, a difficulty in your life. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song. And um, if, you, if you have something you're going through, uh, we have some oil here. We can anoint you in oil and pray for you. If you can pray there in your seat if you want to. But uh, this song, as we were hearing it this morning, not for a moment will he forsake me. Oh, Paul knew that. Paul knew, not for a moment. In fact, do you know he wrote Philippians back to the people in Philippi when he was in prison? When he was in prison, he wrote back to the Philippian people with his most joyous book that he has. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Bring all your petitions in prayer. Do that this morning as we sing together and worship.
here if you feel like coming forward and, and, and spending time in response as some others have feel free to do so um, we're going to be up here we are in no rush so you are free to go go in the peace in the Lord knowing that he is our constant knowing that he is with us and we'll hope to see you back here the next week be in prayer for VBS this week as you go again please leave quietly as others are coming forward in prayer if you'd like to pray come forward and do so you're dismissed